0: happy monday welcome to the second episode of maya's music motive um i hope you all have been having a great week just staying fresh and staying fly staying groovy like i always say Now that we're here at episode number two, that means number one has been released, and you guys have been listening and engaged and super excited on social media. And I just want to start by saying one, thank you for returning. That means that you enjoyed the first episode. And two, thank you so much just for listening off the jump and listening to me share a little bit of insight about the industry starting off and about how I felt about Lil Nas X. And I think we all learned a little something about him and his legacy that he's developing and the world that we're in socially, um, and in a music industry light. So that was really fun to do, and I'm so happy that everyone enjoyed it. But now, we are going to be moving forward. I have my first guest with me, which I will introduce shortly. I have a new motive. I'm actually going to be going into more of a strictly music industry topic today, versus just doing more of a social one that is influenced by the industry. So you will get to hear me fully geek out and fully nerd about my favorite thing to talk about. So with that, I have a very handsome individual sitting across from me in a very nice alien sweatshirt. His name is Nicholas Petta. Let's give it up for Nicholas, yay. Yay. Um, yay, Nicholas, <laughs> hi. Hello. Welcome to the motive. You're my first human to talk to. I'm so excited to see you. Oh,
1: I'm so excited to be here and so so humbled that I'm your first guest. That is so so cool and so exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I want to give a little bit of a bio and then you can go into detail about said bio. But just to provide some information about Nick, he is from Liverpool, New York, originally. For those that don't know, it's a suburb of Syracuse, New York. He is a photographer visionary, a music marketer. He is our creative director of our live performance series, Culture Cauldron, for those that know that. He is a keyboardist, a vocalist, a backup singer for a beautiful singer named Sarah Gross. He is a friend, a brother, just an amazing collaborator. He is also very important to me in my life, but also he has been one of the amazing creative um, minds behind this podcast and the person that did all of the photos that you've seen on social media. So yeah, just give me a little insight of what you do and who you are outside of all of those very, very expansive words.
1: Yeah. I mean, you make me sound a lot cooler than I feel like I am most of the time. Um, so thank you for that. And of course, all of that love back at you. I'm so happy to be here and was obsessed with the idea of this project since you kind of were coming up with the idea and was really excited to be involved in like the photography aspect for your show. Um, and I, I, know that people have been gushing over the photos because you were absolutely delivering in every single one of them. Definitely one of the easiest shoots that I've ever done because we just, I don't know, we had like a great chemistry, which is probably because, you know, like the Pisces Gemini dynamics outstanding. Um, and creatively it was really easy to capture someone who is a beautiful soul inside and out. But yeah, I mean, you captured most of what I do. I mean, I, I love the creative director kind of role that I take on for a lot of artists and uh, different kind of programs and ideas. And I've been doing some album art for people, some concept shoots for people, and exploring, you know, some artist management, some music marketing, um, and loving playing some live music here and there too. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much who I am, and I kind of am just so so happy to be here with you.
0: The walking. Record label, Nick himself. Let's give it up for <laughs> Nick. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much again for one, just being so nice and saying all those nice things. You hear that, mom? I am beautiful inside and out. True. And um, thank you for just being here and geeking about today's topic with me. Um, I Like I said, I love you and I'm just so happy you're here for this specific topic. I feel like this is something that you as a visionary and you as a visual person and as a creative person in music really can have a, great perspective on, which is why I invited you here. Um, I'm really here more for the factuals and the history lesson. Nick is going to be here giving all of the great analyzations of what we're talking about. But I guess now I will introduce our next motive. So should we, should we do the motive? Should we get into it?
1: We should.
0: All right, let's get into it. everything off. Like I said, I did more of a social issue, but this one is, it's more of a conceptual issue or an artistic issue, but it's definitely a fun one. Uh, so for those of you that are into this form of visual media, I don't want to fully introduce it yet, but I guess giving some precursor to why I chose it. I, as a kid, my, I would spend a lot of time at my grandmother's house. Um, my parents traveled a lot to work and I wouldn't have anything to do during the summertime, so I found a way to get on-demand and instead of watching kids' shows in Nickelodeon like normal children, I would go on Music Choice and watch artists sing on screen and a bunch of concepts and a bunch of videos that were out. Um, just hits or they were separated by genre and I would just watch them sun up to sundown and those of you that may know Music Choice or also watch Music Choice or Fuse while they were kids you guys know that I am talking about music videos our motive is music videos for today Um, but Nick did you ever watch music videos as a kid like what how do you feel about music videos growing up and sort of how they influenced you right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think music videos definitely shaped so much of, like, my identity as a creative and wanting to kind of be involved in that aspect of the music industry. Um, And music videos, too, like, just like photography, it's, like, it's a deeper mechanism for storytelling that we don't always get from the artist, and it really allows the artist to have, like, you know, their own artistic license to leave so much up to interpretation for viewers, and I love that. I absolutely love that about that expansion of identity um, is if I think really hard about like what music video kind of is my first memory and Oh gosh, I don't, I'm a little sad that this is it, but also I want to be honest, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, it is very much Carrie Underwood's 2005 before he cheats music video. Um, that was of course, coming from my parents having CMT on and that was just my uprising and like my parents always had that kind of in the background and I would wake up for school CMT would be on in the background and I would wait for the before he cheats music video to just come on the screen um and aside from that one I also have a really particular memory about like my elementary music school teacher actually showing us the music video for Thriller And I remember being terrified and watching like that full 10 minute like mini movie, but also being like, I think that's when like I started being obsessed with like spooky things and like kind of the macabre in general. But those are, I think, two very different music videos, but two videos that I really remember as being like the, the launching aspects for my love for music videos.
0: It's good to know that we can thank Michael Jackson for being the reason you're still the king of spookiness and all (laughs) things witchy. But I think with me, I have two. And they both happened on the same weekend when I was on vacation with my family. My cousin, Loravia, if you're you're listening, hello. uh, She had an iPod, like one of those huge first-generation iPods with the big screen and she had a bunch of YouTubes that she found on YouTube there. And one that we watched was Buy You a Drink by T-Pain with Young Jock. And it's like all dark lighting. It's in a club. It's a lot of slow motions because R&B in the 2000s was all about slow motion. Same with the late 90s in R&B. And then the second one, which I, I've I never recovered, was Be- uh, Deja Vu from B-Day by Beyonce. Yes. And those two, I watched on constant repeat all weekend long. And then I went home and found them on our family's computer. And then I started watching Music Choice. And then that was that was it for me. Like, yeah. So I thought it would be great to just to talk about music videos. I feel like we see them all the time. I think music videos come out almost as often as singles do. And they've just been something that we've been so used to seeing, especially with YouTube being a resource, with television being a resource, especially in the 2000s. And then of course, there was this one company that came along uh, in August 1st, 1981. And the only the first thing they said was called Ladies and Gentlemen Rock and Roll, which is badass. Uh, but it's called MTV, also known as Music Television. The first video that MTV ever aired was actually called Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. I think that was very fitting because you were in a time, like this was the beginning of the 80s. This is when visual media changed in television, film, video, of course, across the board. And radio was king. Radio still is king in its own respect to a certain extent. But especially in the '70s, like radio was everything. It that's why disco became so big in such a short amount of time is the radio airplay. That's how rock was able to take over disco at the end of the '70s because of radio airplay. That's eventually what would bring hip hop to being so popular, partially in the '90s, is radio and it actually infiltrating radio, even though people particularly didn't want it to. So the fact that they started it with like videos here to take over. Visual media is here to take over that top slot in promotion. Possibly, I just think they were really starting off with a bang. So yeah. And then I would love to hear your insight about like the people that ran MTV, also known as the VJs. Uh if you could share a little bit about that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just going back to the video killed the radio star too, like that video was it's so 80s in all of the best ways. Like it really. It's, it's wild because I was watching it and I realized, you know, as the first music video, they do a really cool thing of having like a concept artistically where like there's this very separate storyline taking place, but they're also showing you the, the members of the band, like playing the instruments in the process, which I think is really, really cool because especially like in launching this new era, they're placing emphasis on not only the storytelling of the video, but also kind of like the the instrumentalists and like the members of the band kind of like that live music aspect so they're connecting the story as well as like live music which i think is obviously so mtv yeah and really like was an incredible way to start off
0: yeah so going off of that mtv mostly started with rock oriented top 40 hits, like top 40 pop, along with some rock music. And then they had these things instead of disc jockeys, they had video jockeys, also known as the VJs. The most popular one was definitely Mark Goodman that helped start the channel along with Nina Blackwood. But the top, the first five were Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, JJ Jackson, Alan Hunter, and Martha Quinn. Um, Let's just take a moment to shout them out because they were really the people that helped bring this to the level of fame that it eventually came to be and turned this channel into a national phenomenon, eventually an international phenomenon. And now we have on-air personalities with music, television, not in terms of the channel, but like shows like uh, TRL and like award show hosts. They were really kind of what brought that host perspective and made it really popular and turned them into almost like one of the first music influencers we ever had. So I definitely owe them a lot of gratitude. But yeah, so going back to the genre thing, mostly rock, mostly top 40, but the ironic thing is that some of the best music videos cuz music videos did exist before MTV existed, let me just make that clear, were in R&B music, but for some reason MTV really wanted to stick in that rock and roll pocket. They wanted to keep it like keep it rock. They thought teenagers only listened to rock music, only listened to sort of indie music, but there's an entire demographic of Americans that were like we our music is around and we want to see these videos too like with all the other teenagers and all the other young twenty somethings but it really took other artists like David Bowie and a little bit like Madonna to really push MTV to get them to start airing primarily black music R&B music and the first black artist that was aired on MTV was actually Michael Jackson with Billy Jean and that completely changed the dynamic of the channel because Michael was obviously the biggest artist in the world at the time so one of the best performers and biggest pef- artists we will ever have in the history but um just to highlight that like what do you think of Billy Jean as a video and Michael Jackson as a visionary scene that you just talked about Thriller like this was his Thriller era this was his most Probably most legendary era in terms of album sales and promotion and just stardom across the board.
1: Yeah, I mean, Billie Jean is absolutely iconic. Um, It artistically, I was really confused by it when I watched it the first time, and I really had to think about like one, like what was Michael Jackson trying to like communicate with this decision in the music video, like all of his decisions in the music video, and two, also just trying to think like what kind of, what power is he giving the audience in terms of figuring that story out? And I think that's something that he does really well in his artistic license is that he, there are certain things that he definitely wants very apparent like in his videos, but so many things too that he wants kind of up for interpretation. Um, And I think with this one, the coolest thing for me is like kind of his like dig at the paparazzi, right? you know, like this is obviously something that we've seen revisited from artists since Billie Jean um, with, Like Lady Gaga's paparazzi too. Um, But I mean the song itself is because there were so many rumors going around about Michael Jackson having like a child allegedly and the music video really captures that and kind of paints like the paparazzi is the villain which is kind of the most clear takeaway and like I think the most confusing part in that video but also one of my favorite parts in the video is towards the end when he's kind of like walking up the stairway he kind of like nods to the old woman in the window, and you're like, oh, what is that about? And so yeah. then he gets up to the bedroom, gets into the bed with this woman as this member of the paparazzi is kind of watching this all happen. You can see this paparazzi person ready to start photographing, and then he puts the sheet over him as he's getting in the bed and disappears. And I was like, that's weird. Like, why Why? Why would he leave? Where did he go? Um, and then we see the member of the paparazzi get taken away and kind of caught for pushing the boundaries and, like, really invading on Michael's privacy. And I think with Michael disappearing, what he was after was, like, saying, you know, in these moments where the paparazzi is going to run their mouth, I just have to disappear and I have to give them almost nothing to talk about in order to avoid this. And it was him just kind of saying, like, this isn't a cool thing that they're trying to do and, like, did it while delivering like incredible lyrics and one of like the biggest hits in the music industry that we'll probably ever know, you know. So
0: I couldn't think of a better analysis of that video. I definitely agree with everything that you said, and it actually sheds a lot of light really on his career at that point. He definitely was a private person. Um even probably cuz he had been famous since he was 5 years old. And I think kind of thinking in like a current environment, paparazzi definitely do have a lot of access to people, especially with social media and seeing someone 40 years ago, realized that there is a boundary between a person as an artist and a person in their personal life and having such a creative way of showing that while also doing choreography and showing the lyrics and the speculation. It's it's obviously one of the best videos of all time. Yeah. But when that aired, a lot of people agreed with what we said and MTV really took that surge forward and becoming easily one of the biggest tastemakers in the history of music from that point on for the foreseeable future. And with him, Madonna, Prince, Tina Turner, David Bowie, just to name a run DMC, just to name a few people, it really set the standards for how media was going to be consumed. Radio was very much there and very much still going to be present. But there were teenagers on the weekends where all they wanted to do was sit and watch MTV and dance with their favorite artists and watch these incredibly well-made videos that, like you said, were very 80s and had their own style and had their own aesthetic in the lighting and the bright colors and the hair. And then you see the industry and you see labels investing so much money in videos because... MTV was was what was going to help sell these singles and sell these albums ultimately. So it was really incredible just to see a company push this forward and play videos for 24 hours and make this such a big thing and only in the span of about three and a half to four years. And since they did become such a notable tastemaker, they thought, why not give ourselves our own ceremony to award the top visionaries um, in each vi- uh, genre? And they came up with what became the Video Music Awards. Um, for those that don't know the VMAs or haven't seen the VMAs, it's pr- easily one of the biggest award shows of the like season for music. It's like, a, I would consider it almost like a Golden Globes, just not in the Academy, of course. Um, probably in my mind, it's always like second place to the Grammys and it's usually video driven. Of course, the performances are huge and they're a super big deal because you're taking these visuals that you've spent all this time with your director and your team and your visual producers making and you get to bring it to life on stage. And um, it's really been incredible to watch as a young person. It's incredible to watch um, as a young professional in the industry and seeing how much work goes into these performances and into these concepts and really making it come to life but i'd love just to hear your input about the VMAs um i want to do a little cute game where like we share two of our favorite VMA moments um and why we thought they were so just mind-boggling for pop culture mind-boggling for the industry really really implement, uh, implemental in that person's career
1: yeah i mean the VMAs i mean i know that it's this way for both of us but it really feels like a holiday like going into that evening like you feel like you have to be like best dressed even though you're just streaming it on like your television but i remember like seeing you the next day and we both were like oh my gosh did you see this did you see this how do you feel about this person winning this award and like there's so much that goes into it and i love that it's so again like aesthetically and artistically driven and it allows the artist to really like push the boundaries of how people know their identity and really expand on like their already recorded videos. Um, and this year was a pretty iconic VMA lineup as well. And I'm excited to kind of move into next year too, because there's already so much great music that's been happening. Um, I'm excited, um, to share kind of like what memories each of us have is like our tops for the VMAs. Um, I think one of the most iconic for me and we were trying to like guess each other's before this, but <laughs> we're not successful, no. <laughs> but so here's the big reveal of at least one of them. Um, one for me on the, I, I was kind of foreshadowing, um, in the talks of paparazzi was Lady Gaga's 2009 performance of paparazzi. Um, because Aww, it is so, so iconic. Like she, was just coming into the scene. And artistically, everyone was so alarmed by who she was. And when she rolled up to the VMAs, and it was a huge spectacle. Vocally, she was doing things on that song that I don't think people knew that she could do. I mean, she's one of the few that will always say, my vocals are always live, and anyone that doesn't is copping out. Right. And that performance was definitely a demonstration of her vocal abilities. It was like one of the first times we saw her like throw her leg up on the piano, like very much referencing the people that have done that before for her. Um, And then of course the iconic moment where she starts bleeding like on stage and the crowd is confused on if this is part of what she's doing or if Gaga is actually hurt and she just is smearing the blood like on her face, like delivering these vocals, looking absolutely iconic, surrounded by background dancers that are so representative of every single identity. And it, we just get a real feeling of what the era of Lady Gaga is about to become. Um, and I think in that moment, I really understood, wow, I think this is culture. I think this is like art. And it was definitely a life-changing performance for me.
0: I'm mad because I said meat and I was at the right show, wrong moment. Fair, but (laughs) I I, I couldn't think of a better example, especially post um, 2000. But I just remember seeing the visual fear in people's eyes in that show. I think it happened, we were about 10 or 11 years old and just seeing all of our idols and all of these people that are so calm and collected most of the time try to look like they understand what's going on but can visually look like they are either disturbed, scared, or confused. Was It shows the power of visuals and of bringing a song to life in a completely different way than anyone could ever imagine. And now that's basically Lady Gaga's legacy, whether it's in a subdued way when she's in film or if she's singing jazz with Tony Bennett, or if she's in full rah-rah, gaga mode mode with the foot on the piano. I love when she does that. Mm -hmm. Or with her singing in a blazing fire with uh, um, John Elton. Uh, in 2010 at the Grammys, I used to watch that on repeat, by the way. But I think that's an incredible example. Uh, an example for me, I feel like this is stereotypical for me, but I'm still gonna do it. I have two. So, first one is all the way back in 1985 when Ed, Eddie Murphy got to host the VMA Awards, which I love in itself that they let him host. But a guy at a stance of about five foot two in platform hills in a gorgeous white and purple suit. Did a melody uh, from a movie called Purple Rain And if you don't know who I'm talking about I'm talking about Prince, a.k.a. Prince Rogers Nelson And this year was of course the year of Purple Rain A.k.a. one of the greatest albums ever written Ever And he would do a melody for award shows That usually included like Purple Rain Baby I'm a Star Let's Go Crazy And it's just a huge party and there's people everywhere and like Apollonia shows up and the and the revolution is there and and um, Morris Day and the time is on stage and everyone's dancing. And the whole crowd just looks like they're having the best time. And it looks like the last scene in the movie, if you've seen it, where they're just dancing and cheering. And it's like you see the film kind of come to life, but it's all of these crazy like execs and Tina Turner and David Bowie and Nettie Murphy and everyone's dancing. Like it's just... A block party in the street and I just love the power that his music has and it shows that he really is just a musician who loves music and loves what he does and it doesn't matter where he is, he's going to turn everything, every moment that he can into a moment that's beautiful musically and instrumentally and that when I saw it a few years back, I I almost cried but that's not the point. (laughs) It really just showed the power that this award show really had and then another one um, was really getting to see a lot of the hip-hop artists in the 90s just show up in their wardrobes and show up in the dresses. Like, when Lil' Kim showed up with little purple pasties on and a purple wig, I see someone dressed like that as Halloween every year, and that happened in 1999. Uh, I think they did an incredible job at bringing fashion and bringing streetwear and urban fashion, especially from, like, Atlanta and New York City, to such a, a pretty elegant event, and it changed the complete environment, the complete culture of what the VMAs, was and what it came to be like it's not just a performance moment it's not just an industry moment now it's a fashion moment and now it's combining like what started off as a rock culture with hip-hop and black culture and making this incredible night where everyone just gets to enjoy one another but yeah the the vmas are easily one of my favorite nights of the year like you said
1: yeah and so fashion driven like you were saying too and I love seeing what people wear to the VMAs, you know, and what they wear for their performances, too. Um, And there are just so many iconic moments, like, throughout the VMA history. Um, I also think a lot... Okay, I think there are, like... One is of course 2016 when we were given lemonade ah. and we were given a full medley of lemonade for 15 minutes
0: 15 minutes uninterrupted
1: uninterrupted and she just was I don't think that there's anyone else who could have done like 15 minutes of non-stop giving to the level that she was and just like I opening with pray you catch me is just heartbreaking and then it's just an entire story within that 15 minutes and like aesthetically all of like the background dancers are dressed in so many different costumes and we like get a real sense of so many eras and influences of fashion within that video alone Um, and I also do want to mention just a little petty moment that I love from 2017 is um, with Fifth Harmony when um, Miss Camila was kicked out of the group or left the group, whatever you we want. Um, and they showed all five of them on stage and randomly one of the members' silhouettes gets They like, got
0: yanked on. Yanked,
1: yeah. And I just think that's so funny. Um, and obviously there are so many things that are artistically way more worth talking about, but I... I think about that um and very much laugh about it frequently. Um, um, much love to Camila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it
0: that that's the thing is that it's not it's such a fun night and such an electric night, and you can definitely feel it through the television that it's a place of pettiness and a place like when Taylor Swift kind of gave Harry Styles a shout out in 2013 and everyone looked around and there was like even like a woo in the audience. It's just things like that happen every year just because it's so much energy and there's so much ego and there's so much just so much electricity in the room, I guess is what I'll call it. And then another more recent moment I'll highlight before we kind of go into our next section of the motive is... I'm trying so hard not to sound biased, but I'm not doing a good job. Um, in 2018, my my darling, darling dear Miss Ariana Grande had her comeback year. I only call it a comeback because this was post-Manchester and... She took some time to adjust and heal and sweetener, uh, which was her fourth album, was really the album that was post, like everyone thinking, what is she going to do now that this has happened? How is she going to react? What is her music going to sound like? She was working with Pharrell. What is her sound going to sound like? And she released this beautiful body of work called God is a Woman. Mom, if you're listening to this, you know how much we love God is a Woman. And it has 25 vocal harmonies minimum, I counted. And it consists of all of these beautiful women dressed like all of these incredible women in history. There's this beautiful, beautiful woman that looks like like the baby Jesus in a painting in the uh, Michelangelo, Michelangelo Cathedral. It featured her grandmother and her mom and her cousin. It's just an incredible moment, I think, for women. And she's in gold and she sounds incredible and she looks incredible. And so many women, the dancers, the musicians are just being celebrated. Her family's being celebrated, like not just as a fan, but as a woman, as a professional, as a person that appreciates art, it was like, I thought I was watching a piece of art on stage and it couldn't have been done more beautifully. She couldn't have sounded better. It's still one of her best performances thus far, which is saying something. And I just remember seeing that and thinking like this, it doesn't get much better than this right now. Like I I, I go back and watch it every couple of months. So I think this is just such a powerful show that MTV put together and that- visuals from videos have been able to put into live action and in a live stage. And it's just, I'm very grateful to have it. Uh, But moving on from MTV, you know, MTV started making reality television, And even though they did have things like MTV Cribs and Focus Towards Artists, some other channels like Music Choice, VH1, BET, Fuse, they kind of had to pick up the slack. There were shows like TRL that showed the top 10 videos on BET. So people started kind of adopting the MTV business model. But even with that, really what helped a resurgence of almost a decline in videos was YouTube. Uh, So I will let you kind of give some insight on how you use YouTube to watch music videos.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're totally like on it that youtube really changed the game for the attention that music videos were getting as well as some of these performances though too i think like that's something that we forget is available to us on youtube sometimes is like all of these vma performances we can just look them up on youtube or like we were talking about you had said you found like the 1984 award show like from the vmas on youtube in full which is so awesome and then with music videos as youtube was taking over it was like the beginning of kind of like the influencer area uh the influencer era and people were obsessed with just like watching something that wasn't tv i think because youtube felt super progressive it felt super new it felt like probably what mtv felt like in the 80s just because it's so accessible. Anyone had the ability to post something. People could make music videos of songs that, you know, didn't belong to them, but it was expression in that way too, just as much as it was for the artists to kind of share their content and for like each of these like places like MTV or like VH1 or BET to like be sharing their content in another medium for their audiences to engage with.
0: I think another powerful thing about YouTube is that it was A business model like MTV on a digital space, on the internet, and now that we have the internet, you're able to stream things and collect views that MTV probably never saw just because we were watching cable television and it was aired at certain times. Like Anyone could go and look up Justin Bieber's baby video, and uh, over a billion people did. And now we are seeing videos like Gangnam Style, like Problem by Ariana Grande, like the Hello video, that... Over a billion people, like over a seventh of the world's population like saw it. And that's incredible. And it's crazy to think that people all over the world are able to watch this at real time at the same time. And even though we're in a world where, of course, that makes sense now. And it's 2021 technology. You're able to do basically anything at this point. When it was all coming together in between like 2009 to like 2013, that was wild because... It showed that these videos still matter, even though technology is catching up and we're not selling as many albums as an industry and streaming is taking over. It's like people still want to see their favorite songs put into a visual and given a storyline and given a narrative. Like people still want to be able to sort of make a small movie out of these incredible, like this music.
1: Yeah. And I think like another point too is that it, the accessibility of it was wild because the audience started shifting and we started having the younger crowds kind of have greater access to the artists that maybe they were only listening to on the radio. And now they're wondering, okay, what else about this artist? And then they get to see their music videos. So I think this was also like part of the transition of like the younger generations coming into power of the music industry and like, what kind of video content is being created just because YouTube is able like children can go on YouTube, you know, right. even if their parents might not want them to. It's way easier to sneak around, get on a computer and watch YouTube versus turning on the, you know, the television in your living room.
0: Yeah, it's uh, really that's you said the younger generation, it's low key us. Like we're yeah. we're the YouTube vi- music video generation and This is really where we spent the majority of our time looking these things up. And like for me specifically, even though, granted, I was born in 1999, I'm able to watch the videos that my mom saw on TV in the 80s because people have posted them on Vivo accounts. And you're able to see these incredible pop culture moments happen like you're sitting there in front of the TV watching it because YouTube is a resource and you're able to research and engage and actually study your craft from what happened before you were placed on this earth. And I think, that I, I owe a lot to YouTube. I'll just say that. And I think it's really cool and powerful. And I'm very grateful that this form of media is here um, now that things have changed in cable and changed in television. But kind of closing in on that to sort of close out the motive and close out the future of the music video. I As a visionary, I would love to see what you think about the future of the music video and the VMAs. And how do you think we're going to, consume visuals and consume music videos from this point on to possibly the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're definitely going to see a resurgence of it just because I think COVID has really brought this like renaissance of creativity, particularly within music videos, just because people had a little bit more time to kind of put into these music videos. And I think we're also seeing this like resurgence of actual narrative taking place within the music videos kind of similar to thriller where we have something that's like 10 minutes long and there's dialogue. Like there's part, like a lot of it that is not scored and we don't even hear the song for the first couple of minutes. And like, we've seen that with like some Lil Nas X content. Mm -hmm. We've seen that with like, um, Troy Sivan and Casey Musgraves for the music video of "Easy," right. which is really iconic and like has drag queens in it, and like just very representative of culture. And um, we also see like you know in Casey Musgraves and Beyonce too, and uh, Adele, like all of them have been putting out content that has you know a deeper story to it that is like dialogue driven. And I think like Lemonade was really probably one of the first instances that began to bring that back as she was putting out like the visual version of the album. And now we've seen Casey Musgraves just did it for Star Crossed. Um, and that's I believe on Paramount, which is wild direction for music videos to start to head like towards a subscription-based service. Um and then with someone like Lil Nas X, you know, like the narratives become an extension of the identity and I think that's something that we're going to see more embraced is like the idea that like we get to see the artist a little bit more rather than a fictional storyline and i think we see that with him with a couple songs off of montero we just saw it with adele with easy on me when right. she's talking about divorce and packing up her things in the beginning and just like very much and giving us like a little sneak of like what this album's going to be like but most importantly a sneak peek into like what her life is like right now Um, But I really do think in terms of mediums, we'll see some more people shifting in terms of like going on to like a platform like Paramount um, where people have to kind of like pay for a subscription in order to uh, get access to some of this visual content from artists. But um, hopefully people find that it's worth it to engage in those uh, atmospheres because Casey's um, Starcross was great. And of course, like Lemonade is groundbreaking and I think that we're going to see more artists that are kind of taking their albums and saying yes listen to it but also I want you to see me in the narrative that I am trying to display to you which I think is so so exciting for us to be moving into
0: I I couldn't say better myself I love the Lemonade example because I remember when it came out and that it was coming out on HBO everyone was so confused like HBO and it's an album and it's a visual album and I definitely think, cause the king of the visual album was definitely Michael Jackson. And to see this place in a modern light and to show so much vulnerability, like we're not used to seeing Beyonce be this vulnerable. And to see her really go through the stages of grief and interpret all of the songs and the costuming and the choreography and the cast and then putting her family in it. it's It showed such a different side of her, but it's almost like this is the most human I feel like I ever experienced her at the time yet this is so well put together. And then that led to Blackest King, which came out with The Lion King, which was just such an amazing celebration of Blackness and Black culture and African culture. And and it came with a movie, on, and that was on Disney+, Plus, which was an, another great example of streaming on a subscription service, but that shows how the music definitely can be transcended and transcribed in so many different ways. And then... I think we're also witnessing a kind of a flash to nostalgia, which I always think that every generation sort of has a flash to nostalgia moment with things like future nostalgia with Dua Lipa and her videos being very Studio 54 and very 70s uh, inspired in the disco world. And then things like Silk Sonic where their video concepts are just them singing in a studio like it's 1973 and just taking their music and bringing comedy into it and bringing a feeling of familiarity into it and also getting older generations involved because it reminds them of things they saw when they were younger. Um, Also things like Victoria Monet, for those that know, and her and Jaguar. Her visuals are always uh, cognizant of a color concept. She always loves the color brown. Associated with another color, she also loves the 70s a lot. She uses horns a lot, so there's usually some type of dancing in the video. So... Even though things are declining, like views in the VMAs are declining. I won't say they aren't. I think now that we have social media, all of that traction is getting transmitted to social media and that's where people are discussing it and sharing it and appreciating it and ultimately enjoying it. And that's still what matters. So I think the motive of music videos is that they will still be around. They may be interpreted and consumed a different way, but they're still going to be here and we'll still love them and appreciate them. But with that, that... I think that's our motive for the day. <laughs> so, that sounds
1: like it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think, I think we got that motive out, forward, <laughs> fully interpreted. But thank you so much for being here, Nick. I think this was an incredible conversation. I really love talking about this with you. There's no better person that, that I could talk about this with. So I, any last thoughts for the people before we sign off?
1: Um, last thought only is to keep listening because I am obsessed with this idea for a podcast and am so happy to be here talking about something that I am passionate about with someone that I am passionate about. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. And I will attach all of Nick's socials in the show notes below. And with that, stay groovy always and have a great rest of your day.